This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Roundup. It's uh, my first time on Wednesdays, so hopefully it didn't throw everybody off. And because there was a few extra days between them, I got a ton of stuff to talk about, so let me just jump right into it and try not to ramble too much on any one thing. The first thing I wanted to mention is that I finally got to do the Garo review, that component to VGA SCART converter that the Behar brothers made. They had sent me that one months ago, and I promised them, you know, I will not be late on this. When you sent me the Toro, it took a month to get the page up and months to get a video up. I swore to them that I would get it up right away, and then I found out I was moving, and it took months to get this one up. So big apologies to them, but I ended up loving it. I mean, I didn't expect any less, but um, it's a great device. Um, And, you know, it is on the more expensive side when it comes to, you know, electronic trinkets. But when you think about it, it's still way, way cheaper than these other devices when they were new. Like, I think the key digital ones I used to use were 175 so over twice the price. And you could still find cheaper ones online, but they don't, they're all used and they don't have half the features these guys uh, included. So no SCART output, no sync combiner, no scan lines. So it's, I think it's a great device, and I think it definitely serves its purpose. So if anybody needs to put an RGBS or RGBHV signal but only have a component source, this is probably the perfect device for retro gamers. Next, My Life in Gaming just uploaded an amazing one-hour-long documentary on the Game Boy handheld consoles. I was really blown away, and even though I'd been kind of working with them on it and I'd read the script, just to see it all come together was really, really impressive. So if anybody's a fan of the Game Boy handhelds, I would definitely watch this one. And we also did a live stream on Sunday night, so if anybody was interested to see just more footage of it in action, I'll leave a link for that as well. The Game Pie Advance is now available for pre-order. That's the Game Boy Advance that was gutted and had a Raspberry Pi Zero installed with a full emulation station on it. And this is made by the same guys that do the Neo Geo Pocket flash drives as well as a bunch of other very cool things. So, um, you know, it seems like a pretty neat idea. You know, Game Boy Advance is a really um, awesome handheld console and a good feel to play on. But um, I'm not sure that this one's for everybody, but if you're looking to do something like this, maybe it's a good opportunity to have one pre-made for you. It looks like GameTech has a whole bunch of high-def NES kits en route to them, so if you pre-ordered, even if you pre-order right now, you'll still be able to get one of those kits when this batch arrives, and they should even have stock a little bit afterwards as well. So this is a great time to HDMI mod your NES. Um, The kits will be in stock, and there's a lot of good modders that are on the list and available to do it. So if you were kind of going back and forth, I really think this is the time to jump on it and do it, because it's a great product, and uh, now they're going to be available. Mike Matei recently uploaded a very, very cool video. And no, it's not some crazy rant or uh, beating Zelda without the sword. He actually recreated the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cartoon opening in Mario Paint. 
So that's pretty crazy to think because, you know, you have to use the SNES mouse and you have to draw each frame individually. And he said it actually took anywhere from 30 to 45 to an hour per frame, depending on which frame it was. So he has both the video up um, of the actual opening and he showed a video of one frame being painted. So I'll leave the link up for both because even if you're not into Turtles or MS Paint or if you're not really even into art, you still got to at least give the opening a watch just to know, you know how cool it is to see somebody approach that from a completely different way than anybody else did. So it looks like Altered Beast and Streets of Rage are both getting TV shows. I'm really not sure how I feel about that at all. I mean, why ruin a good thing by trying to, you know, milk every ounce you can get out of it? But, hey, who knows, maybe it'll turn out to be awesome. But uh, I hope I hope they either go all or nothing when he changes from a guy into the beast. I hope they do it super cheesy 80s style where it's just like the, you know, the flashy animation and goes right in, kind of like in the game. Or I hope it's like a really awesome CGI thing. But, you know, anywhere in the middle just seems like a waste. So I guess we'll see. The company just launched an Indiegogo campaign for something called a Retro Engine Sigma. It's basically, it looks like a mini Genesis, but it has a 4K outputting Raspberry Pi style board in it. And it basically just uses, you know, custom emulation software, kind of like what I was talking about with the Raspberry Pi gaming a few weeks ago. And I don't really know how I feel about it, because on the one hand, I mean, if it works, awesome, it's fairly priced, definitely. I mean, it's like 90 bucks, including a controller, I think, which is a fair fair price. But they've raised 350000 out of their $20,000 original goal. And I'm wondering if people seem to realize that you're, you know, what you see is what you get with this thing. It's not like if you build your own Raspberry Pi box, people are going to be working on those forever pretty much i mean you know as a community the raspberry pi community is huge so everybody's going to continue to work on emulation station and you know retro pi or recall box or all those for a long time and now this is a slightly different set of hardware that requires its own custom software for it i just i, I don't know um please correct me if i'm wrong maybe i'm completely looking at it from the wrong point of view maybe just you know 90 bucks to buy something that just works like this is awesome but I don't know. Let's see how good they do. If they do perfect integer scaling and they have different output options, we'll see. But I don't know. Uh, let me know what you think in the comments. But to me, I would much rather just, you know, spend the 20 minutes to build one myself and then join one of the forums and work on it with other people. So we're consistently making progress. But... I recently discovered Wee Guy's YouTube channel. And he basically takes all the old 8-bit games and he creates, he recreates the audio with his own stereo effects and echoes them. Basically like somebody remixing and remastering an album, but he does it with video games. And I thought it was really cool. Um, if you're not really into music, uh, you know, I guess don't bother. But at the very least, I loved listening to his interpretation of some of my favorite game music. Like the Mega Man music and stuff like that. But I just wanted to mention it because in my opinion, it's really cool work. It looks like somebody on the Assembler Games forum is now working on a Wii HDMI mod. So Citrus3000PSI, who I think I've talked about before in some of these, has taken the GameCube video and adapted it to be for a Wii. He's currently in the middle of making his own flex cable, so instead of soldering you know, a million individual wires, you'll be able to actually just lay the flex cable down, kind of like the Ultra HDMI or what Badass Consoles is doing with the GameCube one. And he said he has no plans to sell them yet, he still needs to work out a whole bunch of other things, 
But I think this is awesome because it's a digital to digital mod. So, and I'm also wondering if when you do this, it now just completely renders the good and bad Wii's um, irrelevant. Because by skipping all of the analog processing, maybe it's now all every Wii would output the same quality. So it's still very far away from you know a working prototype that he'd be able to to loan out. So I'll keep everybody updated, but at least there's hope in the future for a, a real, actual HDMI Wii mod. Because, you know, component video inputs are getting harder to find, and it's still, you know, you're always going to get at least a slightly better picture with digital than analog. So I'll keep everybody updated. It's been reported that the Nintendo Switch will also get GameCube Virtual Console games. So there's still no more real info on it, and there won't be for about another month. But I thought it was pretty cool that they're continuing to add new systems and that it's actually powerful enough to emulate a GameCube. That's always a good sign. Um, and also, uh, Miyamoto and Reggie were actually on Jimmy Fallon, uh, and they were demoing the Switch, and they let him play it, which was kind of fun to watch. And also, Miyamoto himself played guitar with The Roots playing the Super Mario Brothers soundtrack. So I'll leave links to all of them in the description, but I thought all that was pretty neat. A few of the Kirby Satellaview games are now available. So those were the games that were broadcast on the Japanese Satellaview in the 90s directly to the Super Nintendo, and they weren't really available anywhere else. And slowly but surely, people have found all of their old copies of it and their old, uh, I think, RAM discs, I guess you would call it, that plugged into this NES, and people are finally able to recover some of these. So there's a site available that I have a link in the description, satellaview.org, with all of them in there, and I think most of them are in the Smoke Monster ROM set anyway. So uh, I just thought that was cool for any Super Nintendo Kirby fans. So a few updates on the G-SCART Switch. First, he'll open pre-orders in January for the normal SCART version, um, which is pretty cool because he's keeping on time with the schedule that he said. So open the pre-orders, fill up enough to place an order, close the pre-orders, process that order, move on to the next. So that's a good sign. Um, and also, he has open-sourced the JP21 version. So this is exactly what I hope we as a community will do. He's still manufacturing and making the SCART version. He's still supporting them and making them himself. So he's keeping those files for himself, as in my opinion, as he should. But he doesn't have time to work on the JP21 version anymore, so he's just given those files away. So I think that's absolutely awesome. It's a way to keep a lot of hard work alive. Um, and anybody could just take these design files and make them. You'll finally see how hard it actually is to manufacture these things. Um, and the only stipulation is just make sure to leave all of his watermarks on there so you know it still says made by Super G and stuff, which, I don't know, leave your uh, comments down below, but I think it's all really fair and really awesome. And that way, if people really do want to get you know one more batch done of only 30 or 40, People can go off and kind of handle it themselves on the side, and that way he can concentrate on the stuff that he really wants to spend all his time on. So, uh, great news, and uh, thanks to him for open sourcing it, and uh, anybody looking for a SCART version of the G-SCART, definitely pay attention in January. I'll make sure to post when the pre-orders are open, and I believe he's going to have the light version available as well. So that's basically, instead of having the sync stripper, both output ports, he's just going to have a basic one, for people that either don't need all the extra features, which you probably should just in case, but more importantly for people that need two. So um, now you'll be able to just buy the one main one and then buy one or two of the light version for a cheaper price. So it kind of works out for everybody. But 
Uh, yeah, I'll keep everybody posted as soon as there's official news, and I'll tweet and post on Facebook when the pre-orders come back open. The Ocarina of Time soundtrack is now available for pre-order on vinyl, which is a cool thing for people that collect vinyl and like that soundtrack. So there's been things like this before, but I just figured I'd let everybody know in case you guys are into that stuff. The next OSSC, the Open Source Scan Converter, the next shipment of that should be available in February. So if you're on the mailing list now, you'll be contacted in February. So I really hope that um, those guys were able to get enough to supply everybody, and I really hope uh, we can get rid of the mailing list soon, because I think the number one hindrance of the OSSC is just availability. I think even though it's still a work in progress and there's still you know a bit of ways to go, I think way more people would own one now if you could just go to a store and buy it. So let's all cross our fingers and, uh, and hope they were able to pull off getting enough for everybody and we could all start tweaking them. And I believe the software is open source too, so you could just go in and try to make any tweaks yourself as well. Um, but I'll keep everybody posted when there's official news on that and see how much stock they have to see if they're actually able to be able to fulfill everybody's order. The person developing the Cave Story Genesis port said he was taking a little break on it, but released the latest version before he did, and you should be able to get up to the last boss. Um, they should be glitchy and pretty much unplayable, so you can't beat the game yet, but you could get all the way up to the end. And uh, I definitely plan on playing through this one again. This is probably now the best time because I, I could never beat all those bosses in a row anyway. You know, spoiler alert, lots of bosses at the end. But, I mean, I loved the game, and uh, when I was playing with it before, just kind of testing it out, I just love the fact that I'm playing it with the Genesis controller. So um, if you have a ROM cart or an ability to burn your own ROM or anything, I would definitely suggest giving it a try. And there shouldn't be too many bugs in it. If there are, I think you could still report them. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty much playable up until the last bosses. So great work, and I hope he continues it eventually. It looks like Mike Moffat is continuing to make good progress on his N64 board. And this is a product that falls in its own spot, at least in my opinion. Um, it certainly it fills a niche that isn't quite there with the N64 yet. So you have the basic RGB mods that you could do on all the older revisions that are, are still great, and that's what I personally use. Um, then you have Tim's RGB mod that can work on every N64 version and can be flashed with the D-Blur firmware. And I think I'm going to move over to that one pretty soon because I love the D-Blur stuff. And now we're going to have Mike's board, which allows for VGA output. So that's really, um, most people wouldn't need VGA specifically, but there are a lot of people that would. And especially for people that do the uh, tournaments, the gaming, they want to use, I mean, getting a VGA monitor is way easier than getting an RGB monitor. So to be able to pick up an old, nice quality CRT um, VGA monitor and plug it right in would be great. Um, so that's where his falls, and his will have de-blur features and a bunch of other cool stuff as well. And I think you'd be able to tweak his to do other things. And then, of course, at the high end of the spectrum, you have the Ultra HDMI that does it all digitally. So um, I hope he keeps working on it. I don't think he's going to be selling it directly, but he said he was able to put together a plan so that people could kind of one-click order through a third-party site. So it would end up being a little more expensive that way. But, I mean, if it turns out to be a really popular product... 
maybe one of the guys that's already making something will offer to make it for him, like uh, Game Tech or any of the other places. So I'll keep everybody updated when there's uh, an official release date or a link or anything, and hopefully Mike will send me one to try out just for the hell of it. But uh, I'm glad that more people are working on these projects because you know, every time something like this is released, it fills another niche that people need. Maybe not me, maybe not you, but somebody out there is going to be going, holy shit, VGA N64, this is perfect. So, um, yeah, I'll keep everybody posted. The AVS from Retro USB looks like it's going out of stock in about two or three weeks. So that's that 720p outputting HDMI Nintendo Famicom console. Um, and he expects stock to get back in around March or April, um, so a few months, probably about three months without it. So if you were looking to buy it or going back and forth, now would be the time to pick it up. Also, he's going to have the Power Pack back in stock for a while. That's the ROM cart for Nintendo. So if you were looking for that, um, I guess now it's finally back in stock after a very long time of not being available. So um, I'll, as soon as there's any more updates on the AVS, I'll report on that as well. But for now, it looks like uh, if you don't get it by the end of the month, you're probably not going to have an opportunity to until springtime. A small update on the Atari Jaguar ROM cart. Saint said it looks like about six months before he's able to get it up for sale. So I will post as soon as a pre-order is available or as soon as he starts a list because I'm really excited for that one. Uh, I've been waiting for a fully functional Jaguar ROM cart for a few years now. Hyperkin just released a mechanical keyboard that's made in Super Nintendo-like colors. So it's a $100 mechanical keyboard, one of the ones with the big, deep keys that are kind of clicky. Um, and it's sort of made to make it feel like a Super Nintendo. So I'm not sure if that's your thing or not, or if that's worth 100 bucks. but I thought it was neat and worth mentioning. And at least this is actually available and not vaporware like so many of Hyperkin's other products. And at least they didn't steal the code for this for something else. The guys on the SMS Power Forums have done a ton of updates to the Game Gear to SMS page. So those are the hacks that allow you to take a Game Gear ROM and then use their patch to make it work on an SMS or Genesis. And they have a lot of enhancements to them. So sometimes you could actually expand how much of the screen is visible. Um, the newer hacks have start on your Genesis controller, act as start on the Game Gear, whereas a lot of the older ones you'd have to plug the controller into port 2 and then hit the down arrow to get start. So a lot of really great updates, and some of them still aren't perfect. Like, I, I love Mega Man, but sometimes the, the noise on the outside of the screen kind of interferes with what you're doing on the actual screen itself. But I think there are amazing ways to play Game Gear games, you know, lag-free on a CRT through a, a different actual home console. And these guys are spending a lot of time and a lot of work doing it. So, um, you know, big, huge thank you to them. And there's over 75 games patched now. When I first started that page, there was like six or seven. So no longer is it, hey, you know, they patched these games, try them. Now you have the luxury of going in and seeing if your favorite game is already patched. And a lot of them, they did such a great job that you could go through and play the whole game with almost no glitches at all. I think Tales Adventure is the one that came to mind that was just, I mean, it was pretty much perfect. So anybody that's into playing Genesis or Game Gear games, um, I recommend using a ROM cart, playing them on Genesis, and... Uh, now you have a whole bunch to pick from. Also, um, Revo has posted a bunch of videos on his YouTube channel of the different hacks that he's done. So if you want to see a lot more of this stuff in action, just check out his channel, and I'll link it below. Woozle seems to be making steady progress on his SNES HDMI adapter. This is the analog-to-digital board that will go inside a SNES and allow it to output minimum 480p HDMI. Hopefully he'll be able to add a little bit of upscaling that in that as well, 
But as soon as there's any solid news or a pre-order date, I'll post right on Twitter. And I hope to get one in for testing really soon, because I'm just dying to finally play a SNES and HDMI like that. Someone recently discovered a few unreleased prototype games. One was Akira for Game Boy, another was Heavyweight Hockey for the Nintendo, and the last one was Mallrats for the Sega Genesis, which supposedly has nothing to do with the Kevin Smith movie. Um, but there's no word on whether he's going to release the ROMs to the public. He just showed them on his YouTube channel. So uh, I just posted the links below for anybody that wants to check it out. But it doesn't look like the games are very complete. So uh, I would still love to play the ROM, even if it was just for a minute, just to check it out. But they're not fully complete games. They're still just basic in-progress prototypes. It looks like Nintendo is opening up Super Nintendo World inside Universal Studios Japan. So, obviously, I'm sure it's going to be more of a kids-based theme, but I don't care. If I ever get out to that part of the world again, you could guarantee I'm going to be there. I don't care if I'm the only adult. I still... Super Nintendo is my favorite console, and I would love to check something like that. I would have loved it a lot more as a kid, but, hey, whatever. A fun little shot of nostalgia, and, hey, if I'm there, that means I got to go to Japan, so can't be a bad thing. It looks like there's been an update to the FPGA SNES project called the VeraSNES, I guess he's got scrolling working in both directions, and he posted a video, and it actually looks good. It looks like there's a lot of great progress. So it's still probably far away for this to become something we could actually buy, but I'm really looking forward to it, because if it ends up the same quality as the AVS, then we'll all have a really awesome HDMI solution for Super Nintendo. A quick update to the SCART pass-through adapters. It looks like Cameron got them sent from Australia over to the US, and they're en route now. So they should be arriving probably next week. Um, so whoever ordered them should probably get them by the end of the month, as promised. So thanks again to Cameron and to Wes for taking the reins on that and making this happen. And I'll post again when there's any kind of update, you know, when they come in and when they've shipped. And I'm sure Retrofixes will send you um, a notification once they've shipped anyway. So just wanted to give a quick update. I was able to visit Brooklyn Video Games in Brooklyn, New York. And I thought it was a really cool little store. Um, they had a bunch of stuff ranging from new to old, kind of like all the other stores that I visited. But they really paid a lot of attention to some of the rarer things. So they open up all of their consoles when they get them. They don't just clean them and test them, they open them. Which means they're able to see, you know, what motherboard revision, you know, which are some of the more sought-after ones. And then they sell them for fair prices. They also open up all of the correct Nintendo games to see which ones have the Famicom adapter in them. And they've done a lot with RGB stuff as well. Um, so it's kind of cool to see stores really get in on this. Um, they had a few RGB monitors on the shelf uh, in a Neo Geo arcade machine. And they're going to start doing, in the future, doing a few RGB mods right out of the store. So not now, so don't go r uh, rushing them. But I think they're just kind of figuring out the best way to do it because anytime you deal with shipping and anything like that it's just it's kind of insane but sometime in the future they'll probably be doing the rgb mods um and starting with like snes and stuff uh, stuff like that probably selling them as kits so it was really cool to see uh, a store kind of go the extra mile for that and because they're so close i'll probably be out visiting quite often to be honest with you and lastly i visited another store in brooklyn called ifix machines which is a computer store, but half of it is actually a competitive gaming thing. So he's got stations set up with a ton of different computers and consoles and even old uh, arcade machines uh, hooked up to a CRT. 
So it was really awesome. And my favorite thing there was somebody was playing the newest version of Street Fighter on a PlayStation 4, and right next to him, somebody was playing Street Fighter 2 online against somebody else. So, you know, I guess over the net on Street Fighter 2, but the arcade version. So I, I wasn't even sure that that existed, but I guess it does. And it was just so cool to see him side by side like that. But it's a cool store, and I think, um, you know, maybe if we get a list together of other places around the world that do that, we could try to have some kind of competition, store versus store, Street Fighter tournament. A ton of that already exists and has for a long time. I just, uh, maybe from a retro gaming perspective, but... A uh, bunch of cool places around here, and the more stuff I find, the more I want to put and promote for everybody, because it seems like retro gaming is growing, and some people are taking advantage of it in a bad way, and guys like this, guys like uh, Retro Games Plus, Broken Video Games, iFix Machines, and a few others that I've visited, are taking advantage of it in a good way. They're really giving back to the community while still being able to make a store and you know have, make their living. So I want to make sure to keep uh, updating people on this. I don't know if you want me to do it in a separate video or just throw a quick minute or two at the end of the weekly roundups like usual, but just let me know and uh, I'll keep everybody posted on other cool stuff I find. Okay, now on to the Q&A stuff. First, in response to my pronunciation of 8-bit dough, um, Hydrogen Jukebox posted a pretty cool thing. So he said, um, dough in Japanese means the way of. So in this it would be as the way of 8-bit. So for example, Aikido, the way of peace and harmony, Judo, the gentle way, Shodo, the way of Japanese calligraphy. So pronouncing it 8-bit Do is probably, you know, it is not probably, it's definitely the right way. And funny, because right after Hydrogen Jukebox post, uh, posted that, my buddy Justin, aka the Goodwill Hunter, texted me a video because he's got one of their little Bluetooth speakers and listen to what it says when it uh, turns on. One more time, just in case anybody didn't hear it. 8-bit So that settles it. 8-bit dough. Next, Ola Planeta. Or, or, yeah, Ola Planeta, I think. I'm so sorry, I always screw these up. Uh, had a great question. He asked, what would be the main difference between the Shiny Bow 6x2 SCART switch and the G-SCART switch from the perspective of retro gamers? So I'll try not to ramble too much, but that's a great question, and um, I'll skip to the end and say, you know, whichever one is better for your situation is the right choice. But I owned a Shiny Bow for a couple of years, and I loved it, and the only reason I got rid of it was because of the G-SCART switch. But the main difference, of course, is the Shiny Bow is six ports, and about $180, give or take, and the G-SCART is eight ports, and just over 200 They both have two outputs, but the Shiny Bow has two SCART ports, and then the G-SCART has a SCART and a D-Sub, VGA style. So um, that may or may not be an advantage to you. If you use a Sony PVM, that is a huge advantage, because then you could just buy an $8 very well-shielded VGA to BNC cable to go from that port to your PVM. Uh, whereas on the Shiny Bow, you're stuck getting that, I think they're about 40 bucks for the um, SCART to BNC ends. The other thing, though, the Shiny Bow is a SCART matrix switch, which means that you could take port 3 of the switch and route it out output 1, and then take port you know 5 and out uh, output 2. So not only can you drive two displays, you can drive two different displays sending two different signals through, which might be a help for some people. Um, also, the G-SCART switch has the built-in sync stripper, in the, the built-in sync converter between RGBS and RGBHV. 
So it's actually pretty easy to uh, to install a sync stripper into the shiny bow as long as you don't mind doing some soldering inside, but not uh, not a sync combiner like that or a splitter. Um, because a lot of devices, not a lot, but a good amount of devices require RGB HV. doesn't matter what the resolution or refresh rate is, but they require two separate sync signals. Um, a lot of uh, flat screen monitors that accept RGB require it like that, some uh, capture cards. Um, but most are just RGBS. So on the G-SCART, you flip a switch and you could toggle that VGA-style output between both of those, which is a pretty big advantage. Um, and also, the G-SCART has a separate 3.5mm audio output, and it has a low-pass filter on the audio, which at first kind of freaked people out. Like, hey, is that going to change the audio? Nope, it just... it uh, The filter is specifically designed just to get that buzz that you sometimes get on analog consoles when a bright white screen appears. Um, and, you know, I mean, I don't want to go into another rant about that, but that's generally from sh uh, cables that aren't that well shielded, you know, plus a couple of mistakes inside the consoles sometimes, especially with Sega. But this does help. Um, but I think the biggest difference for me is that, you know, Shiny Bow is a big company, uh, or a bigger company, and they make their living doing a lot of different things. Whereas, you know, Super G, he has a day job, but he's designing these and making them directly for the retro gaming community. So when you want a high-end switch, something like a Matrix switch or something like an auto switch like this, um, I would always rather support people in the community. And it is similarly priced to the Shiny Bow. A lot of people get mad because they, you know, they wonder why I'm promoting this rather than something like a Bandridge switch. But the truth is, there's just so many things have gone wrong with those cheaper switches. And I've had people buy four from the same eBay auction, and all four act differently. Some need mods to work, some don't. And, you know, if you don't mind tinkering, it's totally fine. Get yourself a cheap one. But mostly speaking, you just buy the G-SCART, you plug your consoles in, and that's it. The only other difference that people do complain about is the Shiny Bow is a manual switch with a remote whereas the G-SCART is automatic. And I personally prefer automatic, but I understand there are scenarios where that wouldn't work out the best, especially if it's something like um, where the sync detection isn't recognized, like when using PlayStation 2 in sync on green mode, or when using like a component pass-through. You'd need to be in port 1 because that's what it defaults to, whereas with the shiny bow you just press the button on the import. So, I mean, I hope I went through all the differences, um, and it really, the, the, the right one to purchase is the one that's right for your setup. There's still a lot of people where I imagine the Shiny Bow might be the better choice, and you could always mod it to have RCA audio outputs and a, a basic sync stripper as well. So, um, I guess I would just research both and see what works best for you, but if anybody has any more questions on that, let me know, and I, I think I covered it all, but if not, just let me know. So a few people had emailed to ask how the Garo compared to that component discard pass-through adapter. So I want to make sure I'm really clear about this because I'm kind of afraid that people are still going to be confused and buy the wrong thing. But that pass-through adapter is exactly like if you had cut the ends off of a component video cable, soldered them into a SCART head, and plugged it into your RGB switch. It doesn't convert anything, it doesn't change anything, all it does is help you put that signal through a different connector. That's it. Whereas the Garo actually takes component video signal and converts it to RGB and then allows you to select between RGBS or RGBHV exactly like the G-SCART does. 
So that's for somebody... Um, I guess the best two examples to give is if you wanted to route all of your consoles through one input of one scaler, or like an XM29 RGB monitor that does not accept component video at all, you would need the Garo. So that way you would put like your Wii into the Garo, then stick your Garo into your G-SCART switch or any of your SCART switches, and that way your monitor only sees RGBS the whole time. Um, the pass-through adapter is for somebody who has a Sony PVM or BVM that uh, accepts component video and RGB through the same inputs, or any other device that does the exact same thing. And that's just a, for a matter of convenience. Let's say you have six consoles hooked up to your G-SCART switch, um, and every time you go to play your Wii, you have to unplug it from the back and plug in the component connector. Now you could use this pass-through adapter, stick it in port 1 of the G-SCART, when it's time to play Wii, all you do is turn on your Wii and then go up to your monitor and press the button to switch it to component video. So you're not changing the signal, you still have to change it to component on the monitor, but you don't have to worry about two switches, you know, two different routings of your wires you could put it through. So the pass-through adapter literally just passes the signal and the, uh, the Garo converts it. And also, of course, the Garo adds scan lines and a few other cool features to it, but I hope that's clear enough. Because I just, I don't, I'm really afraid people are going to buy some of these pass-through adapters and, uh, you know, and not realize that it doesn't change the signal at all. Um, you know, for convenience, too, uh, I have heard of a few people say, hey, you know, my BVM, it's like 10 steps to go from RGB to component. I got the extra money to spend. Can I just use my Garo so that I could just leave it all in one thing and it comes out as RGB? Yeah, absolutely. And if you have the extra money to spend, why not? You get to support another awesome seller in the community. But um, I, I think hopefully I didn't ramble too much and I, I got everything clearly now. But any other questions, please feel free to ask and I'll, I'll try my best to, to say it better or something. <laughs> Next, um, speaking of the Behar brothers and the Garo, a lot of people asked about their Dreamcast HDMI mod, and um, there is no other information at the moment. I don't believe there's a page of their website, and the, all the information that they emailed me is all that's out there. So a few people kept saying, hey, you forgot to put the link, where can I get it? There is no other info. I probably should have been clearer about that. But just to reiterate, you know, there's no official price or release date. But it's a, I believe it's an analog to digital HDMI converter. So you plug it into the back of your Dreamcast, and then on the other end of it's HDMI, and you can add scan lines just like with all their other boxes. And I'm sure it's going to be a great solution. Digital to digital is always going to be a slightly better solution, but I imagine that's going to be more expensive, and that's definitely going to require that you open up the Dreamcast and solder to a bunch of small port, uh, ports and pins. So uh, if anybody just wants a quick and simple way to put their Dreamcast on an, an HDTV, this is most likely the best way to do it. And it outputs, in my opinion, the Dreamcast 480p output is really nice. And it you know, really has a good image to it. So and I would compare it as good as a Wii. So to have a, a real HDMI output rather than have to link a bunch of converters together and then hope the scan lines line up, um, I think it's a great solution. Uh, and that is all the info I have at the moment. So um, as soon as there's anything else at all, I promise I'll talk about it. And lastly, a whole bunch of people were asking about that consumer-grade CRT that was RGB modded. And I actually met my buddy Jose out at that store um, over the weekend. And I got pictures of it in action and everything else. And I'll tell the model number, but before I do, it's a 
curved tube. So those are not ideal for gaming because you can't really get the um, the geometry just perfect on them. You really want a real curved tube TV like they're supposed to be. So the model is a Sharp 27 SF560, Sam Frank SF. Um, and it looks great. I'll have you know, more footage of it here for you. But um, if you're going to hunt one of these down, the better thing to do would be to find a higher-end curved tube TV. And there's a whole bunch of other questions that I kind of want to go over, and uh, maybe I'll eventually add a page to the website, maybe I'll have Jose help me out and we'll do a video about one, but there's a lot of TVs ranging from good to really high-end that were consumer grade that I really want to see how they react when we RGB mod them, so I'll be digging way deeper into that at some point in the future, um, but overall, I mean... You know, these Sony PVMs are getting rarer and rarer and even more expensive as time goes on. Whereas these consumer-grade TVs, yeah, while they're going to go away eventually, you could still find them everywhere for pretty much free. So anywhere from Goodwills to just look on Craigslist, people are giving them away. And I think it's going to be like that for a long time because no matter what, you're going to require some work in order to get to mod it. So you still be able to spend under a hundred bucks, definitely, um, and get a good quality consumer grade CRT. The only thing to keep in mind, though, and you know, I keep saying how impressed I was with the job that Jose did and how good that looked, but when you're comparing to a PVM, you're comparing a, a TV that you know maybe five or six hundred dollars, or maybe even one of the super high end ones that was a few thousand. To devices like the PVMs that were five and six thousand, and the BVMs that were twenty to fifty thousand. So just be realistic in your expectations of these. For whatever reason, though, that uh, the Sharp TV I saw that he had, um, it looked better than when I had that really nice Sony and used a component video in. Um, so RGB to component into it. And I, I really don't know why. It might just simply be that by bypassing all of the internal components and going directly to the you know on-screen video chip, that it just bypassed a whole bunch of junk that anytime an analog signal's in front of you, everything you pass it through the signal kind of gets a little worse. Sometimes it's only at you know, a scope level and you can't really see it with the human eye. But maybe that's it. Maybe the Sharp TV that he had was just better than the Sony I had. I don't really know, but these are all a ton of questions that I eventually want to start working on. Hopefully I could drag Jose into doing a video with me and everything. Um, but yeah, so that's the, the TV model. And uh, if anybody wants to try it, definitely take pictures of your work and see. Post up on Shmups. They have the TV modding forum uh, topic in the forum over there. And as always, just be careful because if you're safe or if you're careful, you're safe, everything's fine. But if you go and grab the wrong thing, it could literally kill you. So as always, please don't die. Well, that's it for this week. I didn't want to add anything else at the end because I figured it's already really long with me just reporting on everything that's happened in the past week and a half. So, uh, I just figured it would be better for everybody if I just kept it at a more reasonable length. But as always, any comments, criticism, hate mail, whatever you got, throw it in the comments and I'll listen. If there's anything else you want me to do or any other things you'd like to see, I think having it on Wednesdays is going to allow me a little bit better of a scheduling to do it. So uh, just post in the comments or email me if you want to see something different and I'll see you guys next week. So.